Eels off the top. Larkham. Herbert smashes through the middle. Gregan. Drop goal from Larkham. Up it goes. Could you believe it? Larkham has to be De Beer. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome to another week of the Green and Gold Rugby Show. Remember, we are the show that's getting you over the line of the hottest topics in Australian rugby. I haven't said that line for a long time, but I'm thrilled to be back uh, because it's a massive week of Australian rugby. And, you know, why, how could I say no to coming back at this, uh, what could be one of the, the, the biggest turning points in Australian rugby? And I don't, don't overstate that, and we'll go into that a little bit further, but... We have uh, what will be uh, a very interesting discussion coming up tonight. So joining me, of course, is our two regulars, Matt Rowley and Hugh Cavill. How are you, Matt? Good, mate. How are you doing? Yeah, going well. It's uh, been an interesting week, hasn't it? I guess we many of us anticipated this week and the activities about it, but it's it's mm. here and we're going to get stuck into it. That's brilliant. Oh, and it's good to have you back, Reg. Thanks very much. And, of course, Hugh too. How are you? I'm good, Reg. I'll, I'll ask the question that's on all of our listeners' lips. Where, where have you been? <laughs> yeah, have I not? I haven't been on for the entire World Cup. Oh, yeah, it's bizarre. So I, I think I said before the World Cup I was going away for a few weeks, but that actually corresponded to basically three weekends, the first three weekends of the World Cup. Then my sister-in-law got married, so that took out another weekend of the World Cup. And would you believe, even on Saturday night, I was at a school function that probably eight weeks ago I volunteered, you know, signed up to do jump on the barbecue to cook a few sausages at 5.30pm, which was exactly 15 minutes after kickoff of the uh, quarterfinal. So, yes, oh I've God. well and truly got into this Rugby World Cup. Um, it's been an interesting time. I'm very much playing catch-up rugby. What sort of Queensland school is scheduling events like that, my friend? That's uh, Well... Ridiculous. To, to, be, to be quite fair, it was the music, um, the culmination <laughs> of the music season. So, so Reg, uh, but in, I in know, fairness, I mean, it, can I just say it was very cool because there was a lot of people out there at this event wearing um, Wallaby hats and jerseys and throwing their support around the team. And in, and it, we even managed to sneak off into the staff room and, and watch a bit of the game uh, at one oh, stage. So watch, I was going to say because I mean. I don't know if you want to do no spoilers because you know, <laughs> some, some things that have happened, you know, in that game and since. But you know, I don't know if you've seen it or not. Look, I, I, I fulfilled my sausage duty, but I went into it knowing that I would get spoiled. But if we won the game, I'd watch it anyway. Um, and if we lost the game, there was no chance. Look, I, I, but I definitely watched the game anyway. So very keen to talk about it. Um, so we have our five burning questions, and and yeah, like we say, a massive week. I think. Like we've said for a while, this has all been building up to this week. We anticipated a lot of this, but the reaction and fallout is still to be determined. So let's go through these five burning questions. First and foremost is absolutely the game itself. What happened versus England? What happened to those Wallabies of ours? Uh, question two. So what should be the fallout from now? We're talking new coaches. What's going to happen with the board, the CEO? Beyond that, let's start sort of reaching out and, and saying what should be our next steps. Question three. Putting a positive spin at what are the positives do we take forward to 2020 next year? Um, back to the World Cup. Who stood out in the other quarterfinals? And then question five, five what do you reckon is going to happen this weekend? Who's going to make the grand final? So back to the game. Wallabies lost, um, uh, what was it, 40 points to 16. Comprehensive as they come. Uh, just a continuation of our um, 
uh, lackluster performances versus England. I think Tom Decent, the one of the Herald uh, journos, tweeted something about the last five games versus England have averaged about 26 to five in the second half. Mm. So um, same old, same old, Matt. Oh, it was amazing. Like, I don't know how you managed to get, like Tom said, I don't know how you managed to get five identical performances, you know, you know, run the same rugby match and get the same result that many times. It's, it's, it's quite amazing. I don't know if you could do that if you tried, but, but then again, we did and it happened. Um, and I think that's the thing that's just blown everybody away. Um, there was a really good thing on uh, BT Sport, which is the premier. I think it's BT Premiership. Um, it's kind of like their magazine show over in the UK. And they had uh, Hugo Monnier, um, uh, Ben, what's his name, from the Sevens. Ben Ryan, uh, yep. Yeah, Ben Ryan. And who was the third? Oh, I didn't recognise the third guy. I think he was a Kiwi, actually, obviously playing in the Premiership. And um, I shared that on Twitter today. It's out there. You can find it. But obviously they took some questions in this magazine show, and one of them was about what the hell happened. And um, it's really interesting. Hugo Monnier really kind of yeah. let rip and just talks about how selfish he thinks all of this must be um, about, you know, in terms of the, the tactics that clearly the coach had taken in, because he was basically saying no players would ever choose to do what they've done, you know, what is now, what if it's six times in a row or something like that? Um, because if you look at the stats, I mean, it's just the same old, same old. I mean, you know, possession, Australia, 64% to 36. Um, time and, and then time and opponents half even, um, 62%. To 38, um, you know, meters carried 578 to 275, carries 153 to 71, um, def- you know, defenders beaten 21 13, clean breaks 14 8, you know, offloads 8 to 2. Um, although, probably the one thing though that kind of sticks out there turnovers conceded 18 8. Mm. Um, and, you know, with, with whatever it is, two or three of those being intercepts thrown straight into the arms. So, I mean, we've done it yet again. We've got exactly the same result. And I think that's the thing that just makes everybody sit there. I'm um, probably – and I don't want to drift into point two, um, which is about maybe fallout. But I guess I just um, – I think it makes everybody feel dudded. There was no magic. Turns out that the last World Cup was a bit chancy. Um, although I think a few people have pointed out, I think, uh, that things have changed since then, uh, and that we seem to have just doubled down or tripled down on a losing strategy. Um, and that's what we've seen come out here. And it was just mind boggling, embarrassing, disappointing. Uh, Hugh, you know, Australia, I've heard a bit of a Twitter perspective that why are Australians surprised at this? We're a ranked sixth or so so on and, and we've crashed at the quarterfinals which would kind of sort of indicate that the rankings about right but it, it's no not so much about that you know whether we really thought we we're a semi-final teams or had a chance further of course we always will but it was the nature of it wasn't it it was just, just another below average performance that you know whether it be strategies player performances it just wasn't no one raised it to the game from my perspective is that how you saw it all um Sort of, not not entirely. I, I think the the disappointment of it was, and it, it was a classic checker loss because it wasn't like the Ireland New Zealand game where Ireland just got blown away and it was thirty four nil or something. At, you know, at one point, 
um, and a few late tries made the score look more respectable. We we were by no means blown off the park. I mean, you you forget, you know, we scored just after half time, and I think it's 17-16. England hit back with that try to Kyle Sinkler, so it's what I think it's 24-16, um, and then we have that prolonged uh, passage on the English line in must be the 55th minute maybe. Um, and, you know, we break through there and and who knows, the, the game's alive with 20 minutes to go as it was, you know, we didn't and, and it, that probably broke our back. England scored a penalty goal, I think, pretty quickly after that. And then, then obviously that, that tries, we, we were chasing the game late. But, you know, that is the hallmark of the checker loss, isn't it? It's it's that that they always kind of show up. They always show you enough. And you think, oh, well, you know, if we didn't throw that one pass straight to the English outside centre or, oh, well, if we didn't, you know, if we were to, if if we broke through in the 22 that time we were there or, you know, oh, if these one or two decisions went our way, then we might have won. And in and of itself, that, that happens. That's rugby in, in, in a, if you're looking at a one-game sample size. But the problem is you zoom out. And, of course, that's been the story of the last four years. That's been the story of every single one of the last, what, seven games against England, I think, since that World Cup game, where it, it, it's exactly the same feeling. You go, oh, God, you know, they just got away with, got away from us in the second half there. But, geez, we, we, we had them close for a while. Um, and... So yeah, that that's the sort of the trademark performance, isn't it? And and I don't think we played horribly, to be to be mm. brutally honest. Uh, and, I've certainly seen us play worse. And you know that first five minutes, you went, whoa, here we go. Um, but you know, obviously that that's the thing, and then then it all catches up to us. And and in the end, the scoreline, you know, suggests that it, that it wasn't in fact a close game at all. Um, so yeah, it, it it leaves you it leaves you pretty pretty bereft because. I don't think many Wallabies fans had a high expectation coming to that game. No. I think we had had hope, maybe, but I mean, I wasn't gutted after the loss because I think I I prepared myself pretty well for it. But um, yeah, it, it was um, it, it was a it was a pretty tough to watch in some ways. But uh, yeah, geez, yeah, we we <laughs> if only there's one or two things went our way, who knows? But but here's the thing, and I think it came out of your question there, Reg, and your answer. Hugh, which is, you know, was it was it the, the player's performance? Like, you know, what was it? I'm like, if you're one of those players and you've done this like six times in a row and your coach is telling you to do it the seventh, right? You've you've seen those results. You know exactly what's going to happen. No other team or top team in in um in world rugby is trying to do what the Wallabies did. No no one else is dumb enough to try and do that and to keep going out there and saying, you know, that stupid thing we were doing where we tried to do five phases in our own 22 as some sort of, um, as some sort of an exit strategy that no other team in the world, top team in the world tries to do. And, and with a straight face expects to win a quarter knockout, any match at top level rugby, let alone, you know, a sudden death, you know, rugby world cup. It's just, it's an insult. That's where we got to. And I think, and you know, the insult that topped all of this off, which yeah. got picked up by a few yeah. people, you know, was then Checker coming out and saying, no, 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 that's what the Australian rugby public That's the Australian wanted. way. Yeah. yeah. That's the Australian ru- way is to play the dumbest ass rugby you've ever fucking seen in your life and to do it six times in a row and to expect something different to happen. Like that was, I don't know what world he managed to get himself 
sort of wrapped into where he felt that he could come out and say that with a straight face. Um, and and what's become really clear is there's some, you know, he's got himself, you know, that we all talk about it. And I think people thought, oh, it's this little mind game he plays where, you know, circle the the, the wagons. Clearly that is just the world he lives in. Yeah. Um, you know, but, bizarre. But it's me this. I mean, I, and I guess we don't know that. We don't know the answer to this one. It's it's too in-house. But I, I know the All Blacks do it and all the Super Rugby teams do it. This player power, they I would thought they would have input to the strategy. You know, is Beale, is is Genia, is Liliofano, you know, Hooper, Pocock, are these guys having a say in the strategy? Surely that's that's part of it. It's not 100% just checker or perhaps as offside as, as well. But do, do you think they would be saying, yeah, we back your checker on this one or... or or not. I mean, I just can't get my head around that. I listened to a very interesting podcast that was put on to me t- today. Uh, it's a sort of science of sports podcast. And um, there's an interview with Nick Mallett from before the World Cup. And, you know, that's what he was saying, that the evolution of the player input is, you know, amateur days, they used to have all the say because the coach was part-time and then professional era came and professional coaches came in and shut them out. But the, 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 you know, it's come the full circle again. And now the players are, well, have been for a few years, but having that say, they have their analysis and they come forward with how we're going to approach this team. There is, we've said it repeatedly for a while now, there is no plan B. The Wallabies play this same way. Had the players just bought in wholly and solely to check it without no questions asked, do you think? I mean, mm. like I said, we can't answer that question, but it just seems that way, I guess. I don't know. Is that the answer why there are certain players who fall out? Yeah, potentially. Yeah. Suddenly drop off the radar like a Scott Fardy or, yep. um, you know, I mean, Quaid, that's probably a different kettle of yeah, fish. Maybe, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe there too. I don't know. Is that, is that why people start getting rotated? Like, you know, we don't know which fly half we're going to have um, or, you know, we don't know or which half pack's going to start. start? But, I don't know. Is, is the, that what happens? Thing, the thing that's interesting to me about, about the last – month or so and i think from people outside i mean obviously we had the perth letters though which was you know a, a great shining beacon of hope that i think we all might have been convinced temporarily that things might be moving in the right direction but you know throughout the world cup as as we sort of became clear that obviously things weren't well um that that, that our tactics were flawed there was no internal leaks in camp there was no, no. you know there no. didn't seem to be a camp in in any sort of disharmony um, they all, I mean, they all seemed to be giving it their all. There wasn't any, um, you know, uh, sort of people swearing at one another in, on the field or, or, you know, guys blowing up at one another for mistakes. It seemed to be a pretty supportive camp. And, and the reaction after all of the decisions that have been made seems to, to, to back that up. No one's really come out and put the boot in. Of course, Quaid did, but really, I mean, he hasn't been relevant for probably three years. So, you know, I'm, I'm prepared to sort of write that off. Mm. Um, and yeah, so th- th- there's not like a cavalcade of of, of discarded players there, like like they've been in the past. I, I'd suggest. Mm. Uh, look, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, look, the, the players coming out and support a check it doesn't surprise me. I mean, that's what he does well. He's, he, as Matt said, he circles the wagons, and he's always been very. I guess he's backed his players. He's obviously isolated a few, but you know those core players and so on. So I'm not surprised they're coming out and backing him. But but you're right that there's no indication that there was any sort of battles against him I, I just it doesn't make sense to me that you know that uh that's the way they wanted to play well but the only 
piece of evidence I've got is that, and as you guys will know, because I, I shared it with you, is I, I got a text from a mate um, saying with the team sheet, basically. Um, yeah. uh, I think it was, it wasn't long, but it was like a, maybe, was it 12 hours before the, the team came out? And it was, if I'm right, if I remember rightly, it was dead right. Um, yeah, it was. And, and some of those things had been discussed, but I mean, it was, you know, it was one to 23, the right team. And then within that was, here's the team. And by the way, uh, checks lost the change room. And yes, I was like, that's right. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I thought, first of all, let's see if the team turns out to be right. Um, and yeah, I do know that that this mate does have a good connection. So yeah. I, um, anyway, so, you know, and like I say, it's as, it's as scurrilous as that. And, and it's, about the only kind of piece of evidence we've had so far, because you guys are right. But the one thing I would say is, you know, Czech is known, and it's his ace card, right, is the whole mental mind games with the team. I mean, that's the whole idea. You don't get lots of different strategies. You get one, but I'm going to make these guys run through a wall and and do it like no one else can. Um, And I think that's going to – that'll play out in lots of different ways, right? It'll make – you know, you get discarded pretty quickly if you're not in the in, if you're not on the inside. If you are on the inside, you get given chance upon chance upon chance upon chance upon chance. Um, you probably feel like you owe him, right? And that's probably part of the the whole thing. Um, maybe that's what commands this loyalty, even though yeah. people even though people are like, oh my god, are we really going to do this for the sixth game in a row against England and think it's going to be different? But you, look at going back to the game for a second. I mean, I think it still backs up our mock. You know, the theory that's, I'd say, fairly widely held among Wallaby fans at the moment, that, that the talent's there. Mm-hmm. I mean, how about Jordan Pattaya? I mm-hmm. mean, thrown into outside centre in a, in a crucial game and just instantly just looked the part, didn't he? Yeah. Um, and even things like the little inside ball he threw to set up Corabidi's try. I mean, I, I don't brilliant. know if other players throw that pass. Um, I think they probably look outside and pass it without thinking. But actually... Mm. It was a Kiwi like, does. It was the, a Kiwi throws that inside ball. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. But, <laughs> you know, and, and just some of his other plays. I, I mean, I don't really think he put a foot wrong. He might have mm. spilled a ball late in the game. But, um, yeah, it, it, uh, it, it was really something impressive. And, I, and I've got to say, I think the, the selectors probably got the Beal selection right as well. I, I thought he, he added spark he, he he had that burst of pace and set up a couple of those breaks and yeah look he threw it that that horrible pass late in the game but really that that was chasing the game and that I'm, I'm i'm prepared to write that off but you know most of the selections that that we we uh the, the 15s we put on the field i think were probably about right and yeah you, you might have changed changed up a little bit here and there but I don't think that was where the team went wrong. I think the set piece was pretty strong. Scrum. Yeah, it was good. They, they probably edged us in the scrum, but we we certainly, yeah, but it wasn't, it was by no means conclusive. And, and I think we pinched a line out off them. So, I mean, the guy who's, I'd say, come out with his fortunes um, pretty strongly enhanced is, is Simon Rowalui, the, the forwards coach, because I, I think he's done a fantastic job. I think, you know, England's, England's pack probably got, slightly got the better of us, um, on Saturday night, but um, I, I think that the way that he's got that pack and that the talent in that pack is is, is something that I haven't seen well, for quite a while for a Wallabies team. Well, I thought the I actually thought we did well on the scrum, and I thought Sinclair did a con job on Garces. Yeah. Um, yeah. that was ridiculous. Garces was trying to argue his way out of penalising England. It was just ridiculous. Sinclair was either engaging early or dropping it. 
uh, and it was really, really clear. And Gus has actually told him several times and then, but just kept resetting it for some reason. I thought it was really, I thought that was really, really obvious. And I don't think it was, I don't think we were, I don't think either side was clearly dominant, but I thought our guys really, really held their own um, uh, sort of on that one. So I agree with you, Hugh, on that side of things. But the thing I, I the only thing I don't agree with is, and and the numbers back me up on this because it's exactly the same freaking scoreline, whatever it is, five out of six times, is that it's not a case of, oh, just a few things just didn't go our way. Because I agree with you, our guys were playing the game plan they'd been given or decided to play, they were executing it. The problem is that it's just a case of, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? It's just a case of you just um, – you just need to do enough actions under pressure to get those results. And if you do enough of those same actions, you'll get it. By that, I mean, if you, if you in a high-pressure international game against a team that's well-drilled, like in England or a, um, or a New Zealand especially, I'd say, I'd say they're probably the two best teams at it. I think Wales aren't far behind, and I think Ireland, when they're on song, aren't far off either but i think england and new zealand are the absolute have built their games around this which is to put you under pressure and just wait for you to make that mistake and then in a it's a knock-on or it's a turnover or it's an intercept and they're bang they're gone and if you have a game plan which is basically set up to give them those opportunities because you are going to run it you know, twice or three times as many times as they're going to. You're going to do it from the dumbest parts of the field. You're going to keep on doing it with absolutely no backup. Those things are going to happen. It's not just a, I don't know, like a happenstance that we keep throwing these intercepts that England keeps picking up. It's because, you you know, you do enough of those actions under pressure against a team like that. It's it's just going to happen. It's It's not just a fluke that kind of just, you know, just happens once or twice because we've seen it repeated identically and and that's the bit that no matter what happens i guess this is straying into point two about what happens next is you just like you just know you, you can't keep doing this and um and our international win rate would say that yeah i, I think we were too easily picked off and eddie knows that he's a smart coach he knew how we we're going to play and he and he had the team prepped for exactly that matt in terms of well you got to do do is pace, be patient guys let them have the ball don't worry about it the, the mistakes will come the turnovers will come and that's when we take our opportunities and you know to be quite frank we're lucky not to lose a, another game to to a, a you know a, a third string team um, Georgia in particular was close because when you play that predictable boring well not boring but that predictable rugby that you know with, with no sort of um, alternate uh, even the, the lesser ranked teams are a shot because all you have to do is, is focus on those little areas and the opportunities will come so it's um, it was uh, it was disappointing in its predictability I guess yeah, indeed but I, I and there was some like you were saying Hugh there was some I mean Patea oh my god just like I don't think I've seen um, sort of international debuts like it he, he he just looks so accomplished um, in all the minutes that he had and on the biggest stage against a really tough opponent. He looked absolutely magnificent. Um, on the flip side, um, yeah, Will Genia, yeah, that that was yet another match just to totally forget. Will's an interesting one, right, because you can tell when he's checked out. <laughs> like his game completely changes. 
when he's completely on board and he's with it, you get this, you know, passing from the base, sniping around the edges, you know, keeping keeping the defence honest, um, you know, all sorts of tricks and athleticism. When he's not when he's not with it, you get this thing where it's three steps, maybe even four from the base of the ruck before I'll pass it. I mean, you would have thought we would have learnt from that against Wales. Um, you don't see one snipe. Um, yeah. and he's and he's basically phoning it. And and so there's no need, for, you know, defence is never set. Um, and, yeah, he – talk about a shadow of his former self. That was – wow, when you think about what that what that guy can do. The disappointing thing is there are gaps there too around the base of the ruck. I remember seeing a whole bunch, you know, yeah. either for him to go himself or one of those little inside passes – the, the palms were drifting wide and sort of just following him, maybe in anticipation, knowing he was always going to pass. But there, there were opportunities there. But you're right. And, and the other one was his outside man, Lili Afana, whether that was a factor of, of Guinea's game. You, we struggled with 10 this tournament anyway. And, and um, you know, I was one that was, you know, thought Lili Afana was the best option. And, and he tried hard, but he, he just wasn't quite up to it either. So it's, it's hard uh, when your 9 and 10 aren't functioning. Oh yeah, oh, just unbelievable. It makes you wonder. I, I, I wonder if um, Perth, because we saw bits of play in there that we haven't seen since. Do you think mm. that was? Do you think that was a bit of player power? <laughs> do you think that yeah, was a bit right. of? You know, do you think that was the anomaly where, you know, White said, "I'll oh, stuff this, then I'm going to start running around the edges and start doing stuff that I know might work," rather than this stupid same way run to the middle of the field where everyone knows you're going to be. <laughs> Um, you know, sort of thing. Just, I'm, I'm just so looking. For, I'm hoping, but maybe I'm going to be wrong because of with Hugh's theory. But I'm just hoping we get some sort of um, some insight into that about yeah. just what's going on. Yeah. Um, look, anything else to say on the match, Hugh? Do you want to bring up anything else, or should we jump on to question two? No, no, no. I think we yeah move on. I think yeah, yeah there's plenty more to go. So you know. What is the fallout from this? Obviously, this game, this World Cup tournament, Czech's obviously uh, no longer our coach, or at least won't seek um, uh, uh, recontracting after his contract finishes towards the end of the year. They've already started names coming out about Dave Rennie and other potential coaches, and now Steve Larkham's back an opportunity. I don't know if that's official or just that's other teammates throwing it up there. How far this goes? Let's focus on the coach first. What should we be doing? Well, even a step back, Matt... Well, Hugh, let's go to you. Do we need a full review? Do we jump? ARU have been all over this coach thing already. They've already drawn up a shortlist. Andrew Slack came out, I think, yesterday saying we need a complete independent review. Is that too drastic or is that what's needed at the moment, do you think? Well, I think the... I mean, independence lovely in theory, but I mean, no one in Australian rugby is truly independent. So I don't know, I don't know what that actually means. But... I, I think we've got time, and that's the beauty of this current situation. I mean, I think our next test is in July of next year. So, you know, that's that's almost, what, nine months? So, and realistically, you know, obviously camps and things start to happen in about May, June, but there's, there's no pressing need for a coach to necessarily start before, you know, before that time. Um, I would be looking to see the fallout from the World Cup, Certainly, you know, something that was came up today was that Jamie Joseph's having a big stash mm, with the Japanese yeah. rugby union. 
Um, and he would be someone that I would be – he is quite literally at the top of my list at the moment mm, because mm. I, I think what we should be looking for, and I, and I said this on, on Twitter, I think, which is that you know, each ever since going back to – I think it was Bob Dwyer, um, we've appointed a coach that, that on the basis of super rugby success and nothing more um, – and whether that's Deans with the Crusaders or Ewan McKenzie with, with uh, the Reds, Checker with the Waratahs, John Connolly with Queensland, Eddie Jones with the Brumbies, Ron McQueen with the Brumbies. Um, and and we, we haven't followed, you know, a path like what the All Blacks did with Graham Henry and Wales and, and, and obviously Steve Hansen and, and Wales um, and looking like they're going to pick up someone like a, a, a Joe Schmidt or Warren Gatlin, these guys coming, coming in, into the fold as well. So, I mean, I think someone with international experience is something that we should definitely be considering. So the rush to put Dave Rennie at the top of a list seems interesting to me because, I mean, obviously he's got super rugby uh, success with, with the Chiefs, and that's fantastic, and he's gone and coached Glasgow um, to, I'd suggest, middling results, yep. some success, yep. but not not glory. Um, but uh, to me, I don't know, are, are we... Are we um, potentially jumping the gun here i mean and i'm not i'd be worried if we went out and tried to get his uh signature on the dotted line this week because why what's the what's the urgency what's the rush you know people talking about eddie jones people are talking about jake white um you know obviously a guy like joe schmidt has yet to put his cards on the table i think um even though he signaled a return to new zealand um so you know, there's there's plenty of names out there, and I think we're not really going to know the full extent until after the World Cup, um, and, and we see what happens, and, and even then after that with with contracts, because I'd I think most international coaches are, uh, contracts are up after the yep. World Cup, so yep. I, I don't know. I think I think I'd like to uh, like to have a bit of a wait and see approach, Reg, and and you know I, I'm I'm pretty agnostic as to whether they're Australian, Kiwi, you know, wherever they're from. I think in the in the modern game that that is increasingly irrelevant but um certainly I'd, I'd i'd like to consider someone with a, with a bit of international experience i'll i'll, I'll give my jamie joseph spiel and I, and and if i had to pitch him to you guys i'd say i mean the japanese were playing sensational rugby by the end of that world cup they clearly coached um incredibly well they play a style that i found incredibly attractive to watch but it was also quite intelligent they were mm. they were um, maneuvering defenses around the field they were kicking into space with good chases they were defending well they were coming fast off the line they were making good choices and 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 you know what they gave the Springboks a run for their money um and and i think that's that's a guy who's also had super rugby success with the highlanders but um he's someone that i, I think would would fit Hopefully, you know uh, the Wallabies style like a glove at at the moment. The way that that Japan team was playing. So, um, that, that's that's my Jamie Joseph pitch. But I, I don't know what the uh, you guys would think of that. Well, I think you've stolen my pitch deck. Really? Uh, is is what's happened? I mean, yeah, he he rose very rapidly rapidly to the top of mine. I've got to say. And what I agree with wholeheartedly with what Hugh was saying is I just think it's very clear being an international coach is a totally different gig mm. to being mm. a super any other type of coach um, and you know in terms of the level of detail in terms of what it means in responsibilities in terms of you know what the pressures are in terms of just having been through it and I, I to get someone who's been through it um, even with a well we can't say lesser nation because Japan are rated higher than us now. Um, so he's yes. coached at a higher level than Australia already. Yeah. 
So, um, you know, so from that perspective, yeah, I, I completely agree. I also, I don't know, I wouldn't mind getting away from a Chiefs slash Checker style of rugby. <laughs> um, so I'm not sure uh, Dave Rennie sort of having coached the Chiefs is necessarily something that makes fills me with delight as far as more headless chip headless chook possession rugby um but um yeah so yeah across, across those the, the joe schmidt one's an interesting one um that he's going to be coming to this part of the world i guess he'll be able to pick up a super rugby gig in new zealand um but um that's another big name kind of floating around he's done some amazing things in within that island setup so yeah i'd, I'd, I'd also be interested there yeah, yeah, I agree. I think yeah, it's funny how I've turned around. I mean, I'm with you in terms of international quality. Uh, international experience is paramount importance at the moment. And and ironically, there are a few available. I mean, ordinarily, I mean, and that's been part of the challenge in the past is that we haven't had people available. And I guess it's just the timing of the World Cup cycle, as you say. But um, uh, Rennie, you know, not international experience, but a, a decent quality coach. Um, Joe Smith, as you say, um, Warren Gatlin's around. I don't has he signed up for anything next year? I can't remember. Um, but Jamie Joseph coming up today, the Japan stuffing around with them. They're apparently looking at potentially Jake White or even uh, Wayne Smith if they can get him. I don't know if they'll get Wayne, but can you imagine the difference from going from Jamie Joseph to Jake's um, Jake White there? Hmm. Um, but what an opportunity it would be if we could stand grab Joseph. Look, the the one thing. Yeah, so I'm I'm completely supportive. That'd be a wonderful selection. Or Tony Brown, you know, is the other name that's come up. Not head coach experience, but he's been pretty involved with the um, the Sunwolves and obviously the 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 Japanese national team too. He's a, a smart brain. Scott Robinson's another name that's been thrown up. I guess all uh, all black candidates too. Um, acknowledging not with that international experience. The one thing I'm very aware of is that I think we've got a. a um, a quality of young talent coming through that we haven't had for a very long time. Um, mm. You know, you, you could arguably say since, you know, Dean's brought through O'Connor, Pocock, Beale and, and Cooper, um, who were brilliant individual players, um, a Pocock aside, you know, who probably had a, a little bit more to his game from a mental um, professionalism perspective. But I get the sense these young guys coming through now, the, the, the names we've been seeing in the under-20s and also the Australian under-18 team that beat the, the, the New Zealand team a, a, you know, a month or so ago. We have you know a young generation of exceptionally talented players. And mm. while we don't want to rush them into the Wallaby team, their harnessing and, and development is critical to our longer-term success. So having the right coach who can um, be aware of their development and have a be across how they sort of come into the game working with Super Rugby is going to be pretty crucial. So I I don't know who that is. Um, you know, the Kiwis still have, always do have an ability to bring through their young players. We've always said that in terms of, you know, Carter goes, there's always a 10 behind them or the like um, in the back row and so on. So that's pretty important to me um, is just knowing that's there. And that's probably, I don't know why, that's why I'd be steering clear of Jake White. I don't think he <laughs> necessarily is uh, that way inclined, but uh, I just think that's really important. Well, I think because if bringing that up as a good one, Rich, which probably also then for me puts a nail in the coffin of the other name, international coach is going to be floating around at the end of this World Cup that we haven't mentioned. Alan Jones. <laughs> um yeah, he's, he's working on other young talent at the moment um, i've been reading um is um yeah eddie jones 
yeah. so, yeah, so it's another uh, it's another Jones. Um, because my sense there is, uh, well, I mean, from everything I hear is like, you know, I guess someone to harness talent that's there and to beast it into submission into how he wants yeah. to play. Um, but I'm not sure he's going to, I'm not sure he's quite the nurturing type that we're looking yeah. for. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think Jake White and Eddie Jones are two of the type of guys I don't think we need, especially coming off the Michael Checker era. You know, a guy who's, uh, a mind games kind of coach, you know, media profile savvy kind of guy. I don't know. I mean, Eddie's obviously successful with England, and and who knows? He might, you know, the, the All Blacks might put fifty on this week, and and we're singing a different song. But I, I don't know. I don't think he's the type of guy we need right now. No. I think I think it, I think it's a different face. But what do you guys think about Rayleigh and Castle? A few obviously yeah. the uh, the same old voices are out there now, but you know, there's there's a pretty considerable portion of people on our site that think she should probably pack her bags based on this result. Do you, do you think that should impact? Look, I've got quite a uh, I guess I've been developing quite a strong opinion on this one as you think through it what can you actually pin on Raylene Castle and in my opinion the thing that you can most pin on Raylene Castle is the Israel Falau affair you can say that that's her from beginning to end but at the end of the day he turned out to be a nut who went back on just about everything he said so they put some faith into someone and that per- ironically and that person completely um you know blew that up and so okay otherwise checker was not her doing and the only thing that you can have a go at her about is well should she have should they have dumped him a year out from a world cup um knowing that they're going to have to pay him out and do all the rest anyway and i think that was a hobson's choice and i think most ceos don't i don't think many people make that choice um to, to do that um so i'm not sure you can stick that on her i think at the end of the day where all of this traces back to is and 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 the more i think about it the more i look at them is pulver's reign and mm, i think as time and as time goes on you go oh my god who was asleep at the wheel or, you know, who was, you know, and you think about the force fiasco, you think about um, the, you know, McKenzie fiasco, link fiasco. You think about how we ended up with check off the back of that fiasco. You think about the, how all of that just developed into a massive carbuncle so that by the time Raylene came in, um, you know, that was a mess. Raylene didn't cause that mess. Checker just no. decided, Checker just went, well, I'm just not, you know, you're the new boy. I'm not talking to you. And, and that was already done. Um, then the only other person, and um, I think Nick's given me the nudge on this one, um, who I'll also throw in there is Cameron Klein. And he's been, you know, he's been there throughout, you know, that. Now he didn't, um, as we know, he didn't appoint um, uh, Pulver. But, you know, he ran through the spine. He's run through the spine of this as well. And so uh, out of all of these people, actually, the people, I mean, we can't sack Pulver again. Um, but, <laughs> but you know, you know, Klein, I think, I don't know how he can look at himself in the mirror and think this has all been zippity-doo-dah and I've presided over something that's brilliant. And I think, I think Raylene starts earning her coin now. And I think the people throwing rocks, hmm. I wonder, you know, what are all the reasons why you're, you're throwing rocks at railing? Because it's, I, I think it's pretty clear, ninety percent not her doing. That. Yeah, I think you're right, and I think the people throwing rocks now, the people throwing rocks 
you know, a year and a half ago, whenever she was appointed anyway, uh, for whatever reason, didn't like that appointment. I um, agree with Klein. You know, the, the news coming out today is that he wants to stand for another term, which I think is three years, but probably doesn't have the numbers, which oh would be gosh. a relief. But the interesting thing there is that um, Brett Robinson has fulfilled his term. So he was the deputy chair. He'll step down. I think Paul McLean is stepping down too. So there'll be a fairly hefty shake-up to that board, which is probably what's needed. Um, so it'll be interesting to see who comes on after that. Uh, you know, Robinson could have been an all right candidate, but if he's done his time, he can't sort of be um, extended according to the Constitution. But yeah, I, I'm surprised Klein's there this long, and I would hate to think he, he remains there much longer. And, and 100% agree with you, Raylene, I, I can't really falter. You know, you, you could say there's some negotiation angles around the uh, around the um, Falau thing in terms of what was in writing and what was included in the contract, but uh, all in all, you know, um, I think it's her time, like you say. Uh, hey, and, and I you, think you? as well, when when you look at things like the schoolboys winning, yep, the yep. the under twenties winning, um, and un, that's not all her doing, but certainly the the initiatives we've got to getting some of these schoolboys signed into our game and finding that money to to enable us to start to be more competitive in that talent pool of of seventeen eighteen year olds. Um, you know, I think that's genuinely, you know, um, I, I'm not sure the genesis of that idea and whether that's a, a Pulver legacy or, or a cast, castle idea or someone else. But certainly that's one of the really encouraging little sub stories in Australian rugby at the moment that that leads us to be a bit more positive about the future. And so, you know, who, whoever in Rugby Australia has, has started that, I think, can can take a, a great deal of credit because, um, yeah, they, it, it's a it's a it's a bright spot. And uh, certainly something in the administration's favour at the moment. Mm. Yeah, there's definitely an alignment of that development pathway that I think we're seeing benefit from. So from the the academy structure for the under 18, so it's no longer Australian schoolboys, it's uh, Australian schoolboys and 18s, and the AAU basically controls that, or Rugby Australia, through their academies. Academies, the junior NRC, so the under 19 competition, again, which is controlled by the AAU and the states. So we're all starting to feed through the system, through the states, through the AAU, um, as long as we're still, you know, developing the game around in the non-traditional areas, um, you know, you can see the benefit to those coming through and, and uh, at that higher level. So, yeah, something's happening there. Uh, it's under Castle's watch at least. So um, some kudos to her. When did that start? I want to say, you know, having just completely railed Pulver. I want to so, say I remember that happened when he was there, didn't it? Didn't no, no. It well, I don't know what you're saying kicked off. So the, the first... Um, Last year, November was or October, whenever they toured, was the mm. first time the Australian schoolboys tour t- team toured as an under-18 team. Okay. And then in earnest, it kicked off this year as well. So the first time they didn't have – well, they had the schoolboys national championships, but the Australian schoolboys and 18s team was picked through an academy process. So that was this year. Mm. Likewise, the junior NRC kicked off last year as an under 19 20s but this year it was definitely 19s to feed into that 20 system so those two initiatives at least are very very much in the last 12 months and 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 the fighting fund for schoolboys is actually an australian rugby foundation yeah, yeah. initiative i think but uh certainly i imagine rugby australia has has been had some input in that too but that's Plus a railing that's a railing essentially 
Yeah, and we've seen the signing, you know, I think, yeah, there are some question marks over Hooper's, was it four or five year contract um, and, and whatever, you know, he's a he's probably our best player, he's our captain, so there's a certain entitlement to that. But the fact that it was followed up by long-term contracts to the likes of Alan Alatoa, you know, tight head props, but, and Taniel, Taniela Tupo, but these young guys, Pattaya particularly, but then, you know, sure they're Reds, but they're also signed by the ARU is these Harry Wilsons and Fraser McWrights, all sort of three and four year contracts. So, you know, that's a, a different uh, approach to things as well, which should keep these young guys in the game. Mm. All right. Um, so look, lots happening here, you know, apparently a new coach by Christmas. So Hugh's request to, to take it slow. I guess that's still a few months away, but uh, uh, we'll see where that all falls at. You know, we finished it with a bit of a positive spin. Looking towards next year, 220, uh, from a Wallaby perspective, I guess, an Australian perspective, what other positives we take forward? We talked about Jordan Pattaya. What else you got there, Hugh? Um, look, I'll go to our depth in the forward pack, I think has been one of the shining lights of this World Cup. I mean, the guys that have been the unsung heroes of our team, I've got to say, Scotty Seal and Alan Alatoa. Yeah, I think that they've had fantastic tournaments. They've been rock solid um, at the scrum, they've been good ball carriers around the field, um, and and you know that that's um that's been something that's been great to see. And, and unfortunately, Tolu Latu is leaving our shores, but but he's certainly been been good as well. And then you know Isaac Rodders growing and maturing as a player. We've seen Michael Hooper probably having an, having another pretty good tournament. Is he nice run? He's getting some minutes under his belt. Uh, I don't know. Then we've got you know so much depth in the front row, especially. I mean, looking at Guys like Tom Robertson and Harry Johnson Holmes, who didn't even make the plane, who who I'd argue are both you know, test standard players, maybe. Um, and then you know, guys, obviously we've got Taniela Tupo as well. James Slipper, I think, is going offshore next year, isn't he? I'm, 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 no, no, I'm he's with the he's with the Brumbies one more year. Yep. Still with the and he's still a great player as well. So I mean, look, the, the Try positive the, and, and and the only other bloke I'll pull out is is. Marika Korobiti, who yep, I think is, oh, yeah, yeah. would be in line for for a team of the tournament kind of role because, I mean, just his ability to create big plays out of nothing um, is, is something that I don't think we've seen for, for quite a while, which is um, – and, and it's something that, you know, he, he might be first name on the team sheet next year, I reckon. Well, yeah. I, I think yeah, he's, he's the Wallaby uh, player of the year almost. I mean, uh, at least at the World Cup, he's been exceptional. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, Matt, what about you? What are you, you know, what can you take from this to give you some hope for next year? Oh well, I look, I, uh, might sound a bit backhanded, but it's just a release from yeah. this 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 prison we've been in of you know having to play one ridiculous style of rugby and and walk onto a punch every weekend. Um, it's amazing how that kind of resets everything, isn't it? Um, so, yeah, really looking forward to seeing what we might be able to do. I'm sure we'll then go into the next phase which is then understanding that because what tends to happen there's an interesting thing that happens here and actually ben darwin and he you know he's a master of 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 numbers so it can be difficult to argue but his whole thing is guys this is just a you know this is just yeah an ongoing decline and check is just the next one in the in in the run (sighs) on the one hand as somebody who loves numbers too you kind of go, oh, yeah. I mean, the there's a line, there's a, you know, there's a line on a graph that would seem to suggest that. But then on the other hand, it's like, oh my God, we've played some dumb footy, and yeah. like everyone else in the world can see it. So 
to me it says that that was compl- and we've all just sat here agreeing that we've got there's actually a great team there that we could have done so much more with so yeah my big thing is just looking forward to us being able to do some different things and and um you know and and Hugh said as well there's some found you know the fundamentals of the line out and the scrum both look good um you know that, that got it having those two things rock solid to me it feels like the rest of the world is your oyster you could do all sorts of different things um so somebody bringing a bit of knowledge of how to do that would be would be fantastic and who knows where we could go there's a whole bunch of tests i can think of we wish we would have won if we just had the ability if we'd just been able to you know throw a few different things in yeah it's a bit of a palate cleanser isn't it mm-hmm. um you, you talk, you know, and I did think about Betty Darwin and, and his form line. Interesting, I, I broke down results in five-year chunks for the Wallabies over the past, you know, since their inception. And, you know, since we sort of, you know, that sort of late 70s is when things started to turn around. Before that, we were an exceptionally average team and we sort of won one in three games, so to speak. Less than 30% of our games we generally won. But... Uh, since then, it's it's hovered around the 60%. You know, generally around 55 to 60% win ratio. We had a couple of blips there around that those World Cup wins in 91 and, and 99, where it's up around three quarters, so exceptional times then. But it's generally been around that high 58, 60% win rate, except for the last four, four years, uh, which has been 45%. So Ben's, you know, uh, declining line might be right, but... I think you could almost say our average is about 60%, and we've been 15% average this last five years. So, um, you know, I'm looking forward to a change in that. Uh, yeah, next season's Wallaby season. I think we've got Fiji out for one test, which will be exceptional. There's a lot of talk about them joining the rugby championships and maybe Japan coming back in. So let's, you know, let's wait and see how they go with another test and whether they get all their stars and they can perform, you know, to the same level we want to see. Um, and then we've got a couple of tests versus Ireland, which are always fantastic. So, you know, that's that'll be a great chance for us. I love seeing new players come in, and we've, we've got a lot of players leaving. Who knows who's going to be 10? And, you know, I was having this chat on the forum with people last year, uh, earlier, sorry, this week, and, you know, are we? is it going to be a, you know, yeah, Beal's always an option, or O'Connor, I guess. Do you pick someone who's going to be a bit of a holding pattern? If you remember, you know, the years past, we've picked Nathan Spooner and Sam Norton Knight, Julian Huxley, just to hold the position until someone else came along. Would that give Bryce Hegarty a chance or someone like that? Or is it legitimately going to be one of these young guys, a Mac Mason or a Will Harrison or a Noel Alessio or someone like that who gets a chance? It's um, it's pretty exciting. You know, it's, it's great to see. You know, it just adds a little bit of spark to see that that uh, that uncertainty and, and gives it a little bit more legitimacy to Super Rugby. So plenty of excitement there. And obviously with the NRC going on, there's still plenty of talent coming through there as well. Yeah. No, I, I think you're right that... Um there's definitely that opportunity over this, this next four years. You really want to blood some of that new stuff, don't you? And yeah. um, I, th- I think I think those guys are going to get a plenty of a, a run, especially, well, they're going to have to with the number of people buggering off. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Exactly yeah, right. so, so we, whether we like it or not, we're going to see a lot of new talent. All right, next question's about the other quarterfinals. So we want to talk about what caught you out here. Obviously, New Zealand had a big win over Ireland. We had uh, that... One point come from behind win by Wales over France, and then another, you know, fairly substantial win by South Africa uh, over Japan. But um, you know, but not as oh, not as conclusive there. But uh, Japan still did plenty of impress. Hugh, what, what what was your sort of main takeaways from the rest of the quarterfinals? Well, look, 
So we, I didn't see the New Zealand Ireland one. Um, obviously, the result from that was going to be pretty clear given it's Ireland in a quarter final. So I didn't really uh, dwell too much on that one. But um, <laughs> the, um, <laughs> I, I think I think I know what Matt's going to speak about. So I'll try and stick clear of that. I'm going to talk about. I thought England looked pretty good, um, and I reckon they're going to really take a fight to the All Blacks. I'm really looking forward to that game mm. because they just had a sort of a composure. They had a skill. Um, level they had a plan they and they executed it really well you know Farrell is just a, a steady player who can control the game and the way they shut down the game in the last 20 minutes just those kicks to the corner and 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 controlling the the, the uh, location of the game having it on their terms using the clock well I was really impressed with that English performance and and they are a there is they're a quality side and New Zealand I don't think have seen anything quite like that um for, for quite some time. So I think that's going to be a really mouthwatering semi-final, that New Zealand-England game. And and um, I'm, I, I'm really looking forward to it because in some ways you think it might be the final given given the strength of the draw on the other side. Um, even though, you know, um, obviously Wales and South Africa are two good teams. But, uh, yeah, I, th- I think England were probably the standout performers to me um, outside of the All Blacks. So, Matt, what, what were you going to say? <laughs> well, it's got to be the that whole Wales France debacle. That was <laughs> that was quite something. It was bizarre, wasn't it? Yako Piper. I don't know how does that guy. So even before we got to what's happened since, like yeah. you, you you watch that game and you're just like, oh my god, the guy is. And I even got I actually got trolled. I think earnestly trolled by some Welsh guy saying that I was just salty from our loss in the pool stages um, as to why I was having a go at Yako Piper. And I'm like, oh, no, mate, it's just, he's just, you know, they don't call him Uber for nothing because he, he'll always get one side home, right? And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and and that's exactly what he did. I don't know why. And I'm not necessarily, I'm not saying he's been paid off or he's doing it purposely i don't know what it is but he always manages to just you know you know pick a side stick to it the red card was a red card the guy elbowed somebody you know you know like dumb um but outside of that oh my god some of the decisions he was making where you know he was pinging france for anybody being on you know anywhere near lying on the ball and then france like literally rolling towards the english i mean the 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 welsh line and this would have finished the game um you know hits the ground there's a welsh guy lying all over the ball he's not trapped in any way he's just wrapped himself around it because he knows he's trying to spoil the try and it's not even a penalty it's uh you know he's trapped he couldn't move away absolutely Just ridiculous. Then he goes, when France are a point ahead and the Poms are down near the French line, he's actually on tape saying, don't worry, guys, I won't let these guys slow this down. And he starts stopping the clock in between plays. Wales get ahead. Again, they're down the other side. France are trying to keep this thing going. The Welsh literally drop the scrum for four minutes and he doesn't stop the clock once. It's just, it's you just sat there going, oh, my God, if you were French, I just would have absolutely, I just would have absolutely lost it. And then having seen all of that, um, to cap it all off, and I think I'm probably remember, I'm probably forgetting one or two of his more bigger other blunders in that match. Um, he's then caught with this photo that we've now seen on social media where he's standing around with a bunch of Welsh rugby fans doing the elbow action. Reenacting the elbow. <laughs> 
Yeah, smiling like a prize <laughs> prick in it. Um, and I see tonight it's been announced that he's not being considered for any of the semis off the back of that. Um, but anyway, look, that's that's just I just find it bizarre that Jaco Piper is anywhere near a, a whistle at an international level. He's absolute. He just gets things constantly wrong. Oh, that's the thing I forgot was the strip of the ball, um, you know, which clearly went forward um, to generate that Welsh try, uh, which won them the match. I mean, he watches the replay and goes, no, no, that's not obviously forward, when literally anyone who's seen that would say it quite clearly goes about half a metre forward. Anyway, um, putting him to one side, the one thing I took out of that, the Welsh shouldn't be there. Like, No, absolutely. You know, they are absolutely not. Uh, how they ever got to second in the world, I do not know. They just, yeah, they're trying to play that pressure rugby that the the Poms and the, the Kiwis can do really, really well, um, but they're just missing some uh, – they're missing that counterattack capability. Uh, it's just a gr- – they're just a grind fest like they've always been, um, and we somehow got sucker punched by them and the poor French got pipered. Um they and the fact that they get a chance to have a crack at South Africa, who, despite having some wonderful qualities, showed you know, gosh, that well, how did the first half end? Was it six five against the Japanese? yeah, it was, I think so, yeah, yeah, I think it was five three, five right. three. I mean, you know, but Japan was right in there. The fact that the Welsh have a shot at, um, you know, have a shot at uh, South Africa, and then theoretically, then maybe England, who they could theoretically beat because I think they did it in the Six Nations this year, didn't they? Um, so I'm kind of guessing there, but I think they have had some victories over England recently. So, I mean, the fact that the Welsh has managed to luck themselves into a, a semi-final is quite unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. And, and look, they um, they actually get rolled this weekend. Uh, look, I thought uh, – I think you guys covered it all pretty damn well there. Uh, New Zealand were very clinical. They they won me over the, with their win over Ireland. I thought they were exceptional. Um, not saying that Ireland were that crash hot, but I just think New Zealand were – They were clinical fierce, weren't best. they? Oh, they were. It was just nuts. So, I, I you know, I think you and I and that probably were – in our preview podcast, we – Put a few caveats around them, but I, I, they proved me wrong so far, and and that performance as much as anything. So in saying that, Hugh's right. This weekend will be epic. But the other one, South Africa, Japan. Japan was so good, and everyone said it. They were everyone's team. Everyone was cheering for them. But South Africa just wore them down, and it, it's their size and ferocity as much as anything just wore them down. The set piece in particular, and um, you know, uh, we'll talk about what we tipped for the for the semi-finals. But um, you know, you got South Africa should. For annihilate Wales coming up, but uh, yeah, really, it's a great weekend of footy quarterfinals, and it proved to be this weekend. Um, you know, I guess some bigger scores than when we anticipated with only that Welsh France game uh, close, but neither of those teams are real contenders anyway. So let's let's move forward and look at the the uh, this weekend and and the quarterfinals, and I guess you know just give us a quick tip how you think each one will go and and, and how you see it playing out, Hugh. For the we got England, New Zealand, and then Wales, South Africa. Yeah, well, look, I, I can, I mean, as the podcast pretty, you know, the demonstrated pretty well that I'm the I'm the tipster, the expert sort of tipster, given that I tipped obviously Ireland to to fall and Japan to to succeed. Um, in our preview podcast, which you mentioned, Reg, obviously, 
people will, will remember that. Um, uh, and I've, you know, had an, had an avalanche of sort of thanks and congratulations for that. But, you know, and, and, and I take that on board. But the um, New Zealand, South Africa is the obvious guess, isn't it? I mean, I, I have a yes. feeling that that um, that New Zealand, England's going to be a great game that comes down to the wire. And, and old mate Nigel Owens, uh, with the whistle in his hand, is certainly going to play into New Zealand's hands. They have a way of playing his style of rugby, I think. And it's nothing nefarious, but it's certainly something that matches up with their game plan and their game style. Um, and I think they might just have a little bit too much for England. Um, as, as you guys pointed out, I think South Africa will also be able to account for Wales pretty comfortably, especially after Wales have now lost Josh Navidi, who I think was was one of their standout oh, players. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and they're looking a little bit lean now, uh, especially in that back row. But um, I, I think yeah, New Zealand, England's the game that that'll have everyone watching it. Um, and 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 yeah, look, I, I can just see that All Black team who are looking to hit their straps really nicely, um, just getting enough of a game to 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 get there but i think it's going to be close so that but that's my tip i think they'll win um new zealand will get up uh 23 19 uh, what do you reckon matt well look yeah, it's hard to go against a lot of that i think um you know it's it's new zealand I, the thing that's fascinating about the england new zealand clash is just how similar they are in their game styles um so you know the both want to be in the right part of the field, both happy to sit back and pressure the other team. Makes me think we're going to see a shitload of ping pong, um, a bit like we did. I th- I want to say um, when, uh, you know, when it got to the pointy end of the of the British and Irish lines against the Kiwis and it just turned into high-pressure yeah, stuff. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see a lot of that. Um, the one thing that will be fascinating is if we see another card, especially, you know, a potential red one. They're both yep. well control. They're both well controlled team. But you know, if that was uh, uh, the Kiwis, won't be able to afford to give one of those up against the Poms. I don't think. Cause I think the Poms are good enough. Um, I mean, you look at that Pommy team and you go, "Geez, it's a you know, it's a really really good pack." Back row prove themselves. A lot of people are saying. Um, I think a lot of neutrals and not so neutrals are saying the their back row um, bested ours. Um, uh, they've got a couple of young guys there who very fierce, very strong on the ball, great tacklers. Um, we all know, you know, they've got the freakish second row stocks um, and they've got a good front row. We know they've got um, good nines. Uh, Farrell is kicking them from everywhere and is not a bad player, um, you know, and then their back three is freaking deadly. Um, and that's before I get to Tulangi in the middle of the park. I mean, it's a really, really solid team. So I think it's going to be super close. I agree. I think it'll be within a penalty goal probably. Um, but, yeah, unless there's a card, I'd probably see New Zealand taking that one. And, yeah, South Africa should definitely do Wales. And if they don't, I'm going to be, oh, yeah, um, be, be gobsmacked. Um, yeah, so it should. I think it should go the way that we're we're thinking. Yeah, yeah, I'm the same. South Africa by a lot over Wales, and I, I, the England New Zealand's too tight to call. I, I, you know, you 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 think New Zealand, but this England team's very very good, and that, it, it will be a fantastic game. Well, look, it might not be a fantastic game. It'll it'll be a tough, great sort of compelling watch, um, without a doubt. And so. Um, uh, I can't wait, and then and then hopefully a, a South Africa versus either of those teams in the grand final will be equally compelling because um, that's what these uh, World Cups deserve. 
But um, think about how much. Just think about how much. Like, in, it's probably exactly in opposite to all the pre-prep that Australia's done. Think about how much pre-prep England or Eddie Jones and Shags Hansen would have done for this clash. I guess I mean, it's team. Yeah. Oh, this this has been building because they haven't been playing each other, right? This has been building. It is it is the clash of the titans. This match. It's going to be absolutely fascinating. The tactics. Um, the teams, the lot, the, you know, both of these coaches have just been dreaming of this moment. It's going to be absolutely fascinating. Yeah, sensational. Um, all right, well, that'll pretty much wrap us up, guys, unless you've got anything else. The NRC Grand Final is on this weekend as well with the Western Force first time ever hosting a Grand Final up against the Canberra Vikings, who had an amazing come-from-behind victory over Fiji Drua last week. Um uh, Mick and uh, Brett Mackay will be having a, a, a special NRC podcast in a day or so, so that'll give you a good preview of that match as well, but that'll be fantastic. It's been a, another wonderful season there, but uh, all eyes on Japan this weekend with a, another fantastic week in a rugby. Uh, Hugh and Matt, thanks for your time, lads. Good on you, mate. Thanks to Nick in the booth and to all our listeners. Uh, we'll catch you next week. Eels off the top. Larkham. Herbert smashes through the middle. Gregan. Drop goal from Larkham. Up it goes. Could you believe it? Larkham has to be a to be All right, just a sec. Um... Are, are you just kind of, are you zoning in there, Reg? It sounded like you were having... Oh, you got me? <laughs> Yeah, I've got you. No, no, it just sounded like you're like. Oh, sorry. Oh, yes, like I was uh, centering <laughs> myself. <laughs>